Mark 4 and Acts chapter 3. We'll begin by reading from the book of Acts. Chapter 3, verse 19, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus and what He wants to do in your life. Are you there? Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We're in a series entitled Fresh Air. Times of refreshing in the presence of God. You know, one of the things I love about summer is it's a, it's a chance to breathe, it's a chance to relax, it's ta- a chance to kind of take a step back from the fast pace that we live in today's world. I don't know if your life is lived at a fast pace, but mine seems to be scheduled out from 9 a.m. in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, and it's always going. Every night is this, every day is that. And sometimes it's good just to take a deep breath. You ever been inside for a really long time? Maybe you were sick had the flu and you're in your house and and after a couple of days just like it just feels like the whole house is stuffy that you need to get out and what do you say man I just need to get out in the sunshine and get a breath of fresh air and you step out and and you take that big deep breath and suddenly you just start to feel better all of a sudden I've had a great opportunity in my life to have some wonderful adventures uh, around the country, and I love to have outdoor adventures. I really do. So one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is go to the mountains, be it uh, snow skiing or horseback riding or hiking or whatever it is. I, I had the chance to take my family to Yellowstone a couple of years ago. We went to the Grand Tetons. We went to Mount Rushmore. I just got out in the mountains. I've had two opportunities or three opportunities in my life to visit Alaska. Beautiful state. If you've ever had the chance to go there, it's just, it's enormous and it's beautiful. And what's amazing is when you get off of the plane, especially when you come from where we live, you get off of the plane and you walk outside and it smells entirely different. It smells clean and it smells fresh. It's invigorating just to breathe the air. But it's so different, and it's so clean, for a while it takes a minute to get used to. Why? Because we come from, you know, Houston and L.A. are two of the smoggiest cities in the, in the country. Beaumont is just a half step behind. It doesn't smell clean and fresh here when you walk outside. Am I right? Y'all are looking at me like, like, why are you hating on Beaumont? Man, I love my city. I'm just being real about it. But we live in, 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 with, with the pollution all around us and the smog and everything. So we live in it so often, we get adjusted to it until you show up in a place suddenly and you get that what clean air, fresh air feels like and really smells like. It is invigorating. It helps you come alive. It helps you breathe again. In our lives, we can get so caught up in, 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 the, in the pace and the pollution of the world and the pollution of our problems and our struggles and fighting this and fighting that and, and fighting this kid and fighting that husband and dealing with that boss and dealing with the banker and dealing with the, 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 the homeowners association and everything else. And we get so accustomed to the smog and the pollution and, and, and all of that bad air in our life that we don't even realize 
that there is an opportunity to be refreshed every single day. And where do we get that refreshing? In the presence of God. I, I want to I make a declaration uh, over your life today and this entire summer. I am declaring that times of refreshing are coming into your life. You're going to breathe in the presence of God, and it's going to clear things up. You're just going to start to feel better. Allergies are going to start to go away. Problems are going to start to go away. Frustrations are starting to go away as you breathe in the refreshing, the refreshing presence of God. It reinvigorates us. It makes us feel better. It helps us relax. It heals us. You know, there are people in my life that always seem to be refreshed. Just like no matter where, when, you're, uh, when you're around them, no matter what's going on in the world, they just always seem to be happy and refreshed. Do you know anybody like that? You know, okay, a couple of you, do you hate them? <laughs> Hubby, you know you do just a little bit. It's like, that guy's always smiling. You know, and, 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 and so we, we, we know these people, and, but the thing is, even when we're frustrated with them because they're always happy, we still want to be around them. Why? Because there are certain people in our lives that just give life. There's so much life and so much energy in them that when you're around them, you feel refreshed. You leave smiling. You don't even know why. You went in mad at the world. You left dinner feeling good about yourself. Why? Because those people, they're life-giving people. They're refreshing people. They are so refreshed that they give out refreshing to everyone they're around. And, and we want to be around them, and we hate, a little, hate them a little bit all at the same time. Because what we want to do is we want to say of those people, you know, they're always smiling, they're always happy, but they don't ever have any problems in their life. They're not going through what I'm going through. They're not facing the problems that I'm facing. They're not dealing with the stress that I'm dealing with. If they were going through what I was going through, they would be stressed out like I'm stressed out. But no, they're just happy-go-lucky, just skating through life like nothing ever is going to go wrong, like it's a Disney movie or something. So what we do is we justify our lack of life, our exhaustion, our attitudes by exaggerating our challenges and minimizing their battles. Isn't that true? We make our problems seem so big to justify why we feel the way we feel, why we act the way we act, why we respond the way we respond, why we're mean and bitter and hateful to everybody, and we minimize their problems. Well, if they had bigger problems, they'd be just like me. Not necessarily. Maybe they're just life-giving, refreshed people. You see, I'm convinced of this. It's not a circumstance problem. It is a soil issue. What do you mean, Pastor Randy? Well, let's read in the book of Mark chapter 4. Are you there? Flip over. Mark chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus is going to give us a parable here. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on, the footpath, on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on 
fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as they had planted. Can I get that bottle of water right there, Bill? Thank you. Here's Jesus giving this parable. He says, there's a farmer, he's going out, he's got a seed, and he's throwing it everywhere. And some goes in one place, and some goes in another place, and some goes in a third place, and some goes in a fourth place. And sometimes it grows, and sometimes it doesn't. (coughs) Excuse me. Let's apply some science to this story. Let's look for constants and variables, right? Because if we're going to find the truth of what Jesus is saying to us, we need to figure out what is constant and what is variable. Number one constant is this. The farmer is constant. It's the same farmer. It's the same farmer walking around throwing out seed. Same guy. The farmer didn't change. It wasn't the farmer's fault that some seed grew and some didn't. Number two constant is the actual seed. Notice he didn't go to the good soil and throw out good seeds and go over to the thorns and throw out bad seeds. No, he was scattering the same seed everywhere. So the farmer is a constant and the seed is a constant. The third constant is the weather, the climate, the environment, right? It's the same weather, same sun, same rain, same lack, same stuff going on in the world. Some seeds grew and some seeds didn't. So there there are three constants here, the farmer, the seed, and the weather. What is, is the only variable in the story? The only variable is the soil. You see, the truth is, uh, your Bible may call this the parable of the sower or the parable of the farmer, but the truth is, it should be called the, fair, the parable of the soil because it's the soil that makes the difference. The farmer is God. The seed is the Word of God or the gospel or, or, or the message that is preached. The, the, the weather is the climate, the environment, the things that are going on in our world, the problems we face, the rain or lack thereof, the sun or lack thereof. The only variable is the soil. And here's the thing. People are the soil. You're the soil and I'm the soil. There are people in this room today and, we, and we're, we're scattering seed. The same message preached, the same gospel, the same scriptures, the same uh, everything is going to be thrown out all across this room today. And we're all going to go out and we're going to face problems and we're going to face struggles and we're going to face good times and we're going to face bad times. All these things are going to happen. God is helping us all today. But some of us, some of us are bad soil. Some of us won't grow anything. Some of us will walk out of here, nothing changed. You're totally wasting your time right now. I'm totally wasting your time right now because you're not listening to anything I have to say. Don't care what I'm talking about. And before I leave this place, you won't be able to remember one thing I said except that I said to you, you're bad soil. Some of us will come in here today and, and, we, and we have shallow soil with rock underneath so the roots can't grow deep. So we'll go out of here and, and it will be a great day today. And today will be a refreshing Sunday. But by Monday afternoon at work, you know how those Mondays are? By Monday afternoon, it will be all gone as the problems of your life are right back on you. And you're right back to where you started. Others in this room are good soil. And we're going to let the roots go deep. And something's going to grab a hold of you. 
in this truth that God wants you to find refreshing in His presence every single day of your life is going to wake you up tomorrow and despite the problems, you're going to breathe in the presence of God and be refreshed. And by Wednesday, when, when, when many have given up, you're going to, your feet are going to hit the ground and you say, man, Tuesday was an okay day, but Lord, I breathe in Your presence and you're going to feel invigorated. You're going to feel life again. By Friday, you're not going to be barely hanging on till you get to church next Sunday, but you're going to be pumped up as the presence of God is giving you energy when other people are depleted. When other people are barely making it to the weekend, you're going to feel good and have energy because the presence of God is at work in your life. It's the soil that makes a difference. It's you and I. Same seed. Same seed. Same word. Same gospel. Same scriptures, same truth. We all have problems. We all have issues. We all got to fight some devils. We all got to fight some people. We all got to fight our spouse every now and then just to say we did. It's got to happen. It's, it's going to go down. Things are going to happen. The difference is the soil. So my question is this. We go back to the illustration of the people that are always seem to be refreshing, always seem to be smiling, always seem to be happy. What do they have that the rest of us don't have? What is the ingredients in the soil? Because not all soil is made equal. You go down to Lowe's today. You decide you're going to start a garden or plant some flowers. You need to go look you don't want to just go plant them in the dirt in the backyard. You need to get some soil. You need to get some compost. And you flip that bag over and you'll read the percentages of all the different things in the soil. And it's those percentages, it's those ingredients that make that compost or that soil life-giving soil. So that whatever you plant in it will grow. I want to be a person made up of good soil. I know a lot of great people. There's so many wonderful people in my life that, that give me life, that are refreshing to me. They're life-giving. Many of them are sitting here today, all throughout this room. I, I could just start naming names. If every time I'm around these people, I just leave happier. I just leave smiling. And I'm so grateful for that. I want to be that type of person. When you spend 10 minutes with me, I want you to leave feeling refreshed. How many of you want to be that kind of person? All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some common traits that I see in life-giving people. Common traits in people that are refreshed and are refreshing others. Common traits. We won't get, them all, get to all of them today. We'll go through a few of them. We'll finish up next week. Next week's Father's Day. We're going to be honoring some dads. It's going to be a great time. Make sure, dads, take a few minutes out of your day. Bring your family to church, and let's, sell it. let's worship God. Let's, let me honor all of our fathers and, uh, and speak a great word. It's going to be a great, great time next Sunday. And then go play golf or go, to, go barbecue or go to the lake, whatever you want to do. Be a good time, okay? All right. Common traits that we see, common traits in the soil of life-giving people. I better get back to my notes here. Hold on. Number one is this. Number one is this. Embrace your design. Embrace your design. God didn't mess up when he made you. God didn't look down at you and <laughs> look over at old Gabriel, the angel, and say, boy, we really messed up on that one. <laughs> Can we get a redo? <laughs> No, God didn't mess up when he made you with all of your complexities and all of your flaws and all of your good things and all of your things you're still working on. He didn't mess up. We've got to embrace who we are, embrace who God made us to be, embrace the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the dreams that he put on our life. Embrace those things and stop trying to be someone else. 
Life-giving people love themselves and they love who they are. It's not that they aren't trying to be better people. It's not that they aren't trying to work on their flaws and, and respond better. But they just love who God made them to be. Do you love who you are? I, I want to be the best version of myself, but I don't want to be the best version of you. I want to be the best version of me. I want to love myself the way God created me. You know, some people are sports cars. Other people are minivans. Some people are pickup trucks. And then some people are driving in a minivan, pulling a trailer like a truck, and trying to drive it like a sports car. We don't know what's going on with you. We just call you the old El Camino, right? Talk about a bad idea. <laughs> we're, we're all confused, but I, but I love these words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, verse 14. Here's, here's how he said it. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I, lo I love these words. That's a perspective change right there. He didn't come to say, God saying, God, why did you make me this way? I'm such a horrible person. I can't do anything right. I don't even know what's going on. What were you thinking when you made me? No, he came to God and he's looking around at his own life and his own problems and his own shortcomings. He, his wife may have just chewed him out. I don't even know. But he just went before God and he's like, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Isn't complex a nice word right there? for flawed, <laughs> all jacked up. Thank you, God, for making me just like this. I, love, I don't even understand myself. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just thanking you. Your workmanship is marvelous. You know, you ought to wake up and look in the mirror every morning and say, God, your workmanship is marvelous. Don't you, how do you feel about the psalmist right now? He loves himself. He, he's not perfect. He's not saying he's perfect. He's just saying, God, you're a good God, and you didn't mess up when you made me. And if you love me, God, I'm going to love myself. You are marvelous. I'm looking at myself saying, God, you're, you're pretty good at what you do. <laughs> World tries to come at you, and you're this, and you're that, and you've got to change this. I'm pretty complex, but I'm glad God has made me so complex and marvelous and wonderful. Change the way you view yourself. Embrace who God made you to be. Be who God made you to be. Chase your dreams. Don't try to chase somebody else's dreams. Chase your dreams. You know what we ought to do? We ought to help others reach their dreams, but we ought to chase our own. Does that make sense? I don't ever want to be a person that's so busy chasing my dreams that I'm pushing other people back. No, no. I want to help other people reach their dreams all around me, but I'm not chasing their dreams. I'm chasing the dreams that God has put in my own heart. I'm trying to be who God made me to be. Now, I'll help you get there, and I'll help this person get to where they're supposed to be, but I want to be who God made me to be. Embrace your design. Do you think you're marvelous? I want you to turn to the next person next to you and say, I'm pretty marvelous. feel that way about yourself. The moment you start thanking God for who you are, thanking God for your complexities, thanking God for the marvelous work that he did in you, in creating you, boy, it all of a sudden starts to change your perspective on your whole life. It's a perspective change. Number two, we've got to keep focused. Keep focused. So when we understand who we are, what God's called us to do, what he's designed us to do, designed us to be, the dreams he wants us to go after us, we have to prioritize and focus on what matters. 
We have to eliminate distractions, events, activities, relationships, good things sometimes, but they're distractions and they're keeping us from doing what God has called us to do. There's no shortage of things to do in this world, but they're not all for you to do. I have no shortage of dreams and ideas that that I could go after, but they're not all for me to do. I've got to stay focused on who God made me to be and what he wants me to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer said it like this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses uh, to the life of faith, isn't that what we're living, a life of faith? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with, the in, with endurance the race that God has set before us. Yes. Understand, God has given you a race. You have a race, and I have a race, and you have a race, and you have a race. We all have a race, and we're supposed to run that race. We're not supposed to run someone else's race. But here's the thing. We end up with these weights on us. With these things that are entangling us and weighing us down and keeping us from running effectively. Sometimes they're sin. Sometimes it's sin in our life that is keeping us from being who we're supposed to be. And, and, and the writer says, strip off every weight that slows you down, especially the sin that is tripping us up. So there are weights slowing us down and there are sin trying to get us to fall flat on our face. But weights are not always bad. Weights can be good things that are keeping you weighed down from running a race. If you go out and decide you're going to run a marathon, maybe you sign up to run the 5K or a 10K or a 25K, whatever you might decide to run, I assure you, you're not going to go out there in cargo shorts full of stuff in every pocket and try to run a 10K marathon. No, you want to be as light as possible. You want light shoes. You're not trying to go out there in dress shoes or, or hiking boots or, or steel-toed work boots and trying to run a marathon. No, I want light shoes. I want light shorts. I want a light uh, shirt. I, I want everything to be as small as I can because I'm trying to run this race effectively. I don't want to be slowed down carrying extra things. And that's exactly what we can do in life. We get busy doing extra things often good things. You see, we're not always choosing between right and wrong. Many times we are choosing between the things that hinder us and things that don't. You ought to take a look at your life and say, of the things that are captivating my time in the course of a week, is it hindering me or is it helping me go where God's taking me? Is it getting me to my dream or is it keeping me way down? Is it getting me to the next step and reaching the vision that God has for me? Or is it weighing me down? It's not always bad things. It can be good things. It can be committing to too, much, to, uh, too many activities. What is it? Let me ask you a question. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a place that you're going? Say, I want to be a better husband, but what does that look like? I want to be a better wife, but what does that actually look like? You need a vision. I'd like to be debt-free, but yes, but what does that look like? I'd like to be a business owner. I'd like to get a promotion. I'd like to do this. But what does that really look like? We need a vision for our lives. We need measurable goals, something that we can attain, something we can set before us. He said, run the race to reach the goal that is set before you. We call them S-bags. S-bags. Stretching but attainable goals. Stretching but attainable goals. You ought, to, you ought to ask God to help you define some stretching but attainable goals in your life. And here's what I recommend. 
Don't make them more than about six weeks in the future. Don't make them so big that you'll go 10 years and say, well, I'm still trying to get there. No, stretch yourself for six weeks and create a measurable win in your life. I want to go here. I want to do this. This is what it's going to look like. Create some measurable wins and then go do it and give yourself six weeks because you can run a sprint for six weeks, but you can't run a sprint for six years. My dad always told me, Randy, I can do anything for two months. I just can't do it for the rest of my life. So we short term, set some goals, create some visions, and then go for it. Stay focused on it and watch how your life will start to move forward. And if you can set six-week goals and attain them, you know what happens when we reach one goal? We set another one. You know what happens when we reach that one? You set another one. And then you find that momentum is building in your life. Things are moving. And you look up and you're making even more progress. And what you thought was going to take you six weeks only took you three. Why? Because now momentum is going in your life. God wants to help you reach your goals, but set them, make them clear, give yourself something to pray for, to, to look for, to strive for, and go for it. Set some goals and stay focused. So number one was what? Embrace your design. Number two is stay focused. You know, if you are not committed to your own unique purpose, then your resources will be drained by everything else. There are plenty of things in life to steal your resources from you. Number three, this is one of my favorites. It's very simple. Laugh often. Laugh often. There's a statement you've probably heard. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. We think that that is from John Steinbeck, but he actually stole it from a 1785 poem of Robert Burns who wrote this. And the whole point is this, no matter how much you plan, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you detail it out, things are going to go wrong. How many of you know your best plans in in your life, things have ended up wrong? You set out on a trip, you're going somewhere. Uh, My son made me go watch, uh, what was this movie he made me go watch the other day? Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I felt dumber for watching that movie. But it's your typical vacation movie. You know, the family gets in the car and the minivan to go on vacation and everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Have you ever felt like that in life? Like, man, I had this perfect plan and one thing after another and I can't seem to get anywhere. And if we're not careful, we can take life and ourselves so seriously that we end up bitter and frustrated and refusing to move because every time we do move, something goes wrong. We ought to lighten up a little bit. Just assume that things are going to go. Now, I'm a, I'm a shaper by nature, which means that I'm a planner, and I love nothing more than a good plan. As a matter of fact, if you come and sit down and talk about me and talk about your dreams, part of my question is going to be, okay, what's your plan to get there? Because that's just the way my brain works. I'm a planner. I love a good plan. I value a good plan. I value people who have a good plan, right? I just do. I'm also, uh, if you ever have taken a Strength Finders 2.0, uh, which is a business book, tries to help you, dis- help you discover the strengths in your life. Uh, I'm, a, I'm what's called a strategist, and what that means is not only do I strategize, but I'm really good at seeing the holes in the problem. My, my mom always told me I was being negative, really hurt my feelings. If you're watching, Mom, no, I'm just kidding. Well, she did always tell me, like, you're so negative, Randy, but what, what Strength Finders helped me realize was I'm not being negative, but I'm seeing the holes in the plan, and I'm trying to help you from falling off in a pothole. 
right? And so I'm, I'm a strategist. I love a good plan. But what I, and so I have to remind myself of this. Plans are going to go awry. Things are going to go wrong. And I have to lighten up, relax, and laugh it off. Just laugh and laugh often. Can I just tell you, you need to laugh a little more this week. When something goes wrong, maybe, maybe you're at home, maybe you're at work, and something goes wrong, I just want you to bust out laughing. When everybody says, what is wrong with you? And you just say, oh, I'm not going to take it too serious. And, and change the atmosphere. You know what happens when you start laughing and, you, and it changes your perspective of a problem? And instead of being frustrated, it opens your mind and it frees your mind to think clearly and come up with solutions. How do you respond when things don't go as planned? I love this verse in Proverbs 17 and 22. Uh, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. When things go wrong and you allow, allow it to break you down and cause you to be negative, it sucks the strength out of you. It sucks the life out of you. You don't want to do anything else. You don't want to try anything else. You're just frustrated and angry. But if we can have a cheerful heart, it's good medicine. It brings healing to our lives. And my dad taught me a long time ago, um, in, in doing funerals, my father is one of the greatest at doing funerals I have ever seen in my life. If you've ever been to a funeral he's preached, I'm just telling you, he is absolutely incredible. I'm not nearly as good as he is. I just figure his job until he retires is to preach all the funerals, right? When you retire, Dad, all you're going to do is just go around preaching people's funerals because he is so good at it. But part of it is he leads people to families to sitting around and talking about their loved one. And it isn't that we don't cry, but he gets them telling funny stories about their loved one. And then he gets up in the middle of funeral service, and he starts repeating the stories that they told. Why? And everybody in the room is laughing. You're not supposed to laugh. It's a funeral. But you know what's happening when they start laughing? It starts healing. It starts changing things. It changes your perspective. You couldn't get off the floor crying, and all of a sudden, you're crying, laughing so hard, and God begins healing you because a cheerful heart is good medicine. If you're going through difficult times in your life, you know what you need? You need one of those good belly laughs. I was having a really stressful week, uh, and on, on my way to Oklahoma, something happened in the car. I don't even know what it was. I, it doesn't even matter because I got to laughing so hard that I couldn't hardly drive straight. I couldn't see. I was crying. I was laughing. And my wife is looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't even know. This just feels so good. And he was healing me while I was driving. Can I just speak over you a really good belly laugh this week? Not even related to what happened, but that's just the fire starter that gets something going. And you just start laughing and laughing. And I want you to laugh to the point of tears. And watch what it does in your life. It relaxes you. It heals you. It cheers you up. It changes your perspective on life. You need a really good laugh. Laugh often. Laugh often. Tell a funny story. Laugh at yourself. Don't be so serious with yourself. Don't be beating yourself up all the time. Just laugh. Somebody says, that was terrible. <laughs> you're, you're not lying. That was horrible. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest with you. That was bad. About six months ago, I was preaching in this campus right here. I kid you not. And I'm preaching along, and you guys are just staring at me. And in the middle of my sermon, I'm like, what is going on? 
And then I realized, this message is terrible. There's no joke. I'm standing right here, and in my mind, I'm talking to you, and I'm going, this is so boring right now. I am boring myself. I got in the car to drive to Nederland, and I'm all the way there going, God, that was horrible. we got to change that. Lord, can you have? I changed my whole message between here and there. It was, it was so bad. I was like, this is so horrible. And, and I could have gotten mad at myself. I could have gone, oh, man, I'll never preach again. That was so embarrassing. You guys are all kind and loving. You're like, good job, Pastor. No, you were lying to me the whole time. It was so, it was so horrible. I, I'm telling you, I was like, I am. I want to go to sleep myself. As a matter of fact, I think I cut off like three points and just ended that joker early and walked right out the door, raced down the aisle, like, whoop, 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 get out of this place. But, you know, I mean, I could get upset with myself. I make mistakes all the time. But, the, but, but you know how much healthier it is to just laugh and say, you know what, Lord? I'm so wonderfully complex. Thank you for making me this way. And go at it again. Lighten up on yourself. Laugh often laugh often the psalmist wrote in psalm 16 11, you will show me the way of life the way of life the way he wants you to do it granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures with of living with you forever i love this verse because he helps us to understand that in the presence of the lord there is fullness of joy we ought to be happy when we get in the presence of god we ought to be joyful. When you leave on, at church on a Sunday, I want you to feel good. I want you to have had a good time. You know, one of my favorite uh, things, and, and I'll talk about this more in a moment, but one of my favorite things, our kids just got back from camp this week, and I was listening to my son. We were driving down the road yesterday, and he was telling me all about camp, and he was telling me this, and he was telling me that. Then he got to talking about the services and the games they played and the worship, and he didn't understand all the words, but he was having such a good time in the presence of God. And I thought, you know what? I love that. Because our kids, at a very early age, are connecting joy with being in the presence of God. If we're not careful when we get old, we can connect, you know, staunch and perfect and everything's got to be right and you can't smile and nothing, you, you know, everything's got to be in its place and everything's got to be said just perfectly or I'm going to get upset. I was doing our new members class today and before I came in during worship and I was talking to him, I said, just if, if you haven't listened to me preach very much, you ought to know I'm extremely sarcastic and sometimes I mess up and go a little too far. Please forgive me. But you know, we're going to have a good time because I want to connect joy and happiness with being in the presence of God because that's what the psalmist said. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Yes, do sometimes do I get in the presence of God and, and it, it's, a, it's a different kind of feel? Absolutely. But week in and week out, when I get into his presence, I want to laugh, I want to have a good time, and I want those emotions to be connected with being in the presence of God, not don't do this and don't do that and too much of that. No, no, let's feel good because that's the way God wants it for us. Fullness of joy in the presence of God. Can I get an amen this morning? Laugh often. Yeah, you can clap for that. Don't let anything be so important or so serious that it blinds you to the many blessings and opportunities in your life. Laugh it off. Make mistakes and challenges fun. I'm, I'm speaking over your life a really good belly laugh. Just can't stop. Can't stop. I don't just 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 crying just because you can't stop laughing. What are you laughing about? Don't even care. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Why? healing in your life just as it just just as you start laughing god's going to heal because a cheerful heart is good medicine and i'm going to end uh right here today and the fourth one is simply this and they're very connected enjoy god enjoy god 
enjoy God. So often we don't know how to be around God. He's so perfect. He's so righteous. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth that when we get in the presence of God, we don't know how to act and we don't know what to do. It shouldn't be that way. I said, I love, I love our kids. They, they, they're just relaxing and having fun in the presence of God and having a good time. There, there's no preconceived ideas and preconceived notions. It's just, let's go enjoy the presence of God. We ought to enjoy being with God. Being in the presence of God should be an enjoyable experience. And, and uh, you know, you, you think back to, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God first created Adam and Eve. It was an enjoyable experience. It was relaxing. It was, it was easy. It was not complicated. It was not stressed out. God walked with them in the cool of the day. They, com- they communed with God. They talked with God. They walked with Him. They spent time with Him. And it was a very natural, enjoyable thing. But then they sinned, and they ran from the presence of God. They were removed from the garden. And all through the Old Testament, you see how the story changes. And now, it's about the laws, and and God was in heaven, and we were here on earth, and God would speak through one or two or three men or women, and he would speak through his prophets, but you and I didn't necessarily commune with God. He spoke through the men of God or the priests. There was no real tangible presence all the time unless you were near the Ark Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't like what we have today. I love what Isaiah said when, when he said it like this in 64 and 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. This is a powerful scripture talking about what God can do in our life, but it also shows something. Here's Isaiah the prophet, and he's crying out, God, you're up there, and we're down here, and we just want you to be down here with us. So rend the heavens or tear the veil that separates heaven and earth and come down here and be with us. And you know, that's exactly what God did when he sent his son Jesus to this earth. And and here is God wrapped in flesh. His name was Jesus. And suddenly, everywhere that Jesus went, people were in the presence of God. And as he grew up and he began his ministry, people were flocking to be around him. They were were gathering around by the thousands to hear him speak. They were leaving their lives behind to follow him. The disciples left everything behind, left families and businesses and jobs, and they would go and they would follow Jesus as long as they could. And then they'd go back and take care of their family. And then they would come back again and they would be with Jesus. And they followed him. They laid everything down. Why? Because they wanted to be in the presence of God. They enjoyed being with Jesus so much. Here's the problem, though. Jesus left. Jesus is not walking around in flesh like he was 2,000 years ago. And if he were, he couldn't be everywhere at once. That's why he said, it is my, to, to your advantage that I go away. Because Jesus knew, you want the presence of God with you. You want to enjoy the presence of God, but I can only be, because I am bound to this mortal body while he was here on earth, I can only be in one place. Where is Jesus now? Four times in the New Testament tells us exactly where Jesus is. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So how do we have the presence of God here today? Through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's my advantage that I go away, to your advantage that I go away, that I might send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, we give our lives to Jesus 
But then we ask him to baptize us in the Holy Spirit that we might live a spirit-filled life, that his presence could be with us, not just something that we experience here or there when we can find Jesus, but no, you can live with the presence of God every day. The number one trait of life-giving people is they are full of the presence of God. They are filled with the, with the Holy Spirit, and he's working through them. And I want that for you. I want you to be that type of person that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not so much about do's and don'ts. My relationship with God isn't built on those. Are there do's and don'ts in Christianity? Absolutely. Think about your marriage. There are do's and don'ts in your marriage. Of course there are. There are some rules you should not break in your marriage. There's, nobody, there, there's not an NFL referee walking around behind you throwing a flag on the play. Five-yard penalty, excessive sarcasm. <laughs> You know, 10-yard penalty, played too much golf, right? <laughs> You're ejected from the game. Personal foul. Didn't answer the question, does this dress make me look fat correctly? You're out. That's not the case. There are do's and don'ts in our life. In the Word of God and living the Christian walk, there are do's and don'ts, but that's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with our Father. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit working in and through us. I don't do those things in my marriage, not because someone's going to find me, but because I love my wife and I don't want to do them to her. And I want our marriage to thrive and be healthy and be happy. So I don't need someone to throw a flag on me. Because I don't want to do those things. I want to make the changes in my life. And the same exact thing exists in our life as Christians. Are there things we should do and don't do? Absolutely. But when the presence of God is dwelling on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit actually came on Pentecost, which was a celebration of the giving of the books of law. And God said, no longer are we writing it on tablets of stone, but I'm writing it on the hearts of men. And as the Holy Spirit fills us, we live out those things. And the fruit of the Spirit is things like love and joy and peace and hope and gentleness and goodness and kindness and self-control and all these life giving things come out of us because the Holy Spirit is in us we ought to enjoy the presence of God I'm going to speak over your life times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord here's what I want to do today and I'm going to end slightly differently today in just a few minutes our host is going to come but I want to ask Pastor Chris to lead us in some worship and I want to open these altars and ask our maybe our pastors and elders to come you say Pastor Randon I need a good laugh or I, I, I've not embraced my design. I don't love myself, and I need some prayer for that. Or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to stay focused, and uh, things are distracting me, whatever it might be. Maybe you say, Pastor Ryan, I just need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. It's a free gift from God. All you've got to do is receive the Holy Spirit, and He wants to fill your life. Whatever it might be, these altars, maybe you just want to come and kneel and worship and lift your hands. But I want to ask that the presence of God would fill this room. He's already here. And fill your life. And times of refreshing are coming from the presence of God in Jesus' name.